I'm Derek Neighbors. And I'm Roy Vandewater. Uh, okay, so today we wanted to start talking about uh, like storming on a team, kind of cultural, <coughs> setting the cultural norms or kind of generating the culture of the team. That's Roy, that's something you've been experiencing lately, so tell us about it. Yeah, I've been working with a team for the last few weeks where we really have started to generate more and more stress. Like we switched over to one-day iterations, and uh, that has kind of started bringing things that were always there to a head, and now we haven't started to deal with them because it's no longer able... In the past, we could say like, hey... We'll we'll get to it, you know, on Friday when it's an issue. But now that we're having this issue every single day, it's becoming something we have to deal with, and it's pretty cool. What's it been like, um, just with the different personalities on the team, and kind of, you know, do you feel like the team is catering to certain people on the team? Maybe they have more seniority, or how's that shaking out? I don't necessarily think it's a matter of seniority. In our case, we have some um, personalities that are cruder and um, vo- more vulgar, I guess, and in some cases more childish, myself included. <laughs> and uh, and we have some people that are a little bit more straight-laced and that are bothered by some of our antics. And in this particular issue, I mean, there are other issues that come up. We have a, like, it feels like we're a team of a bunch of alpha people, so we argue a lot. So lots of, like, alpha males or maybe people that want to be alpha males that are trying to find their place in the pecking order kind of thing? hmm Derek, you've been experiencing kind of dealing with a, a team that's Maybe, I guess you could say adopting Scrum or trying to get a little more serious about it that has some of those personalities. What's that been like? Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the thing is diff- one of the things that is difficult is oftentimes, you know, people will say they're in a team, but in re- reality, team, <coughs> the team definition is simply a group of people that all have a reporting structure that is shared or a group of people that all sit, um, you know, in the same area of the office. There is no real team happening so when work gets done it's independently divvied out and you know there's no collaboration happening and so i think for this particular team um there's a you know an alpha personality you know an example that would exhibit this was this person does all the estimating for the team this person does all the code reviews for the team this person is the only person that is allowed to deploy the software to the target production environment for the team and so now as the team is starting to take a little bit more ownership for work and they're um, they want to improve. And so part of their improvement is they want to talk about, can we start to swarm on work instead of each one of us take a story for ourselves for the entire sprint? Can maybe three of us work on the same story? And how do we break that up? And the person that is normally in control of everything, this is just like rage infilled uh behavior for them right like this is just so not acceptable on every single level um that they just don't even know how to respond Uh, so much so that they basically threw out all the work of the team and basically said i'm going to tell you who's going to do what work and what's interesting to me is this is not a manager this is just a developer on the team right but this is somebody who you know they they say what they're allowed to do and what other people are allowed to do and so it's a dynamic that i think some people are seeing some empowerment and are able to fight against that now and getting some support from management and, and uh, you know, external coaching to say, like, no, it's okay for you to do this. And I think the person is seeing their world just be torn apart and is not happy about it at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think probably everyone listening has either worked on a team with someone like that or maybe has been that person themselves or, you know, has experience with that. But I guess we kind of highlighted and. I guess implicitly that that's probably a negative thing or a negative behavior, but what uh, what can you really do if you have someone like that on your team um, so that they can be more collaborative and they can be more part of the team and they're not like the code police? Yeah, I, I think some of it is figuring out why they're the code police. 
right? It might be that, um, you know, for a long time, they were the only ones responsible or ever held accountable for when something went wrong. And so, you know, hey, if I'm the only one that gets slapped when something goes wrong, you know, I'm probably going to make sure that I'm going to control everything possible to make something not go wrong. Or maybe I inherited really crappy architecture when I started this job and, you know, it took me two years to clean up the mess from, you know, whoever was before me. And I'll be damned if I'm going to let a bunch of junior idiots come in and tear my code, my code masterpiece to hell. Right. And Mm -hmm. so it's finding out what makes them tick and then trying to show them how they have safety in a team and that they can actually do some of those things better without expending that amount of effort. Meaning I suspect most of them don't want to work 70 hours and have to micromanage every line of code and do that, right? They're doing it because there's some other thing involved that's making them do that. So if you can say like, hey, you can get all the things that you currently want, but without having to kind of command and control your teammates, like that's a win-win for everybody. So I think Mm -hmm. it's investigating what that is and trying to show them techniques or ways to, to basically move around that. Makes sense. Right when you've been, um, you know, the team you're on, been experiencing kind of this generating of the culture and the culture stuff, um, have you noticed any of the people that are more senior members on that team um, having a hard time maybe making decisions or participating in a certain way? You know, they're, they're used to acting in a certain way and kind of having maybe veto power, but now that they're on this kind of this collaborative team where everyone's input supposed to be more you know equal um have you noticed anything like that that's been difficult not really because on our team everybody has the exact same veto power which is absolute veto power all this we use the core protocols decider so all decisions must be unanimous um there's been a lot more argument than there probably would have been in the past from senior members because in the past senior members could have said it will be this way no argument right and they can't really do that anymore but I think overall that's a good thing, and I think even the senior people would agree that this discussion is driving better ideas and it's driving us to – now a junior member comes up with a crazy idea and we incorporate that and, and, and come up with something that's way better than, than any individual could have come up with it by themselves. Yeah, I think one thing that – like the Derek, the example you mentioned where the, the guy kind of came back in and redid everything and it seems like he kind of blew up a little bit, mm-hmm. I think that's – for a team or maybe an organization that's trying to make a cultural shift, those are the kind of cues where someone's someone that is maybe afraid of conflict or has a more traditional mindset is going to put the brakes on and want to hold off. But that's probably the wrong wrong thing to do, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was interesting because these this team happens to be doing Scrum. I would they believe they're doing Scrum. I would say they're not really <laughs> doing Scrum, but they do have a Scrum master, and I believe so. They're doing Scrum, right? Yeah, and so I, I believe that the Scrum master tried to. Like the Scrum Master knew this behavior was not kosher, was counterproductive, but they had nothing in their toolkit to say, I'm going to prevent you from going off and doing this crazy thing and going redoing the planning meeting all by yourself in a vacuum and delivering basically like a PMP level schedule back for when things are going to be done and who's going to do them and everything else. Like they, they knew that was totally wrong, but they didn't know how to deal with the person. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, the best that they could do is say like, okay, well, if you're going to do that, then I'm going to hold you hell or high water to that schedule. And if you're like one minute off from that schedule, this is going to be how I'm going to say like, that's why we don't do it that way. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is is not necessarily a, a good response. Right. So it was nice that they they didn't just dig their feet in and say, like, well, we're not going to do you know, we're not going to try to improve because somebody on the team's got a problem with it. But at the same time, like one of the things that's difficult about change is if you do not have people around that know how to deal with change and how to deal with personalities, like, you know, 
you can say like, hey, yeah, we still want to change, but like, I don't know, how do we tell them no? How can, right? you, tell, like, how can you tell a change is good change and bad change? And Yeah, and I mean, like, I think some people, I mean, I, I think some of the upper management team, when they kind of heard some of this, you know, that this was kind of a thing that happened is, I think their initial thing was, do we need to fire the person? And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. like, I think that says all sorts of bad precedents, right? right? Like, you, you know, you, how dare you go against like what somebody wants and that means you get fired. Like, that's not the culture you want either. Right. But I think, you know, at the team level, it's like, well, we don't, nobody's ever told this guy no before. So like, I, how do, how do we do that? Yeah. Do you think that was uh like if you were a scrum team that was maybe doing more by the book scrum or more traditional scrum, whatever, and you know, you're having your retrospectives. I mean, I would assume that that's the kind of thing that would kind of come out in the retrospective about that behavior. Uh, what do you think led to this being like going on for so long? So not knowing much about the situation other than what we've briefly talking about in this, uh, this podcast, like my, my guess would be that the retrospectives don't feel like a very safe environment to bring this type of stuff up. Like either the retrospectives are infrequent or not happening, or when the retrospectives are happening, nobody feels like they are in a safe environment where they can bring up anything like this without getting totally shot down. Yeah, I suspect that more than anything, the retrospectives are probably a little bit shallow. I've only seen half of a retrospective that this team has done, so um, you know I can't really speak to it, but it definitely seemed like a fairly shallow kind of like, Hey, does anybody have anything we want to improve? Okay, does anything have anything we want to change? Okay, right, like not a whole lot of mm-hmm. um, techniques used to provide safety to people. Um, you know, I don't think there was necessarily any kind of hostile environment during it, but I don't think that there was, um, you know, the typical tools that a good facilitator would use um, to try to deal with some of these problems. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the other things is. I think it's just the way that they work. So, like, people don't think, like, hey, we, maybe we should change this, or hey, this could be different. And it's true. They probably it, didn't perceive that those are problem. Well, I mean, like, a great example is uh, during their planning meeting, this particular individual was not there. And so they were tasking some stuff out, and it came down to, well, we can't task this out because so-and-so is not here. And so it was great because their manager said, like, well, what do we do? And I said, well, you know, what, what, why can only one person do this? And, and so ultimately their manager really pushed him and said, like, so you're not, you know, you're not capable, Clayton, of doing a database change? And Clayton says, no, I totally am. And he says, well, then why can't you task it out? Well, because, you know, Roy says that we're not allowed to do that. Only he's allowed to do that. That's just and, true, by the way. And, and the manager says, well, <laughs> I, I don't care. You know, if you're capable of doing it, I trust you to do it. Task it out. And, and the look on that developer's face of like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm allowed to do that. Like, I mean, so, I mean, I think it's like, it's, they wouldn't even think to question it. Like, I think we forget how programmed people get where it's like, well, that's not my job. That's so-and-so's job. So like when it comes to retrospective, I'm not thinking like, well, how can I get Roy's job so that I can do database work? Right. Well, especially if that's the culture, right? right? You know, if it's the, the men go out and hunt it's like, well, could, could a woman go along and hunt too? Probably, but that's not what they do. So that's not how the culture works. So that's crazy to even yeah. promote, you know, suggest that kind of idea. Yeah. I mean, I, we see this all the time with QA people, right? Like, sure. You know, man, a QA person touch code like, but, but they might fully know how to do some automation. They might already be doing some code like, but yeah, I think it's funny when you talk to some uh, people that are in that like QA or tester space, there's a lot of them that probably on their own or have some other job or whatever that where they, they have some experience with the code, but whenever they talk about it, you can tell how bad the culture is by how much they diminish their own skills. Mm-hmm. You know, like, well, I'm a QA person, and it's like, yeah, I mean, I've, I've done some Java stuff, but I'm really bad, and I really don't know what I'm doing. And, you know, I think that totally speaks to the, the culture that they've got, you know, mm-hmm. going wherever that is. Uh, Roy, you had hinted at people not feeling safe in the retrospective. Um, you know, I guess 
the retrospect is supposed to be a place where you can feel safe and you can kind of share your feelings and talk about things. Right. Um, are you talking more about like people on the team? You know, I might say something in retrospective and someone on my team would be upset or is that yep. something like management would, you know, hear about what's in the retrospective and use it against me kind of thing? I don't know. I kind of assumed that in Derek's case, it would be more of a team related thing where I would be the alpha person and you'd bring something up and then I would shoot you down and be like, well, that's because I know more than you and I have more experience and you just shut up and don't bring that up again or something like that. Okay. But, um, I mean, the opposite is, uh, or the other option you've mentioned, I, I've totally seen happen as well, where, where something's been brought up in a retrospective and a manager finds out about it and one by one interrogates every member on the team to try to figure out who said it so they can do who the, who knows what, right? Yeah, feel... Right, Whatever. like if, I guess know if, something that they didn't know right. Before. If you don't feel safe inside of a retrospective, like you're not going to get anything accomplished. Like that's the type of area where everybody should be bringing up the things that are really bothering them, so you can move forward as quickly as possible. If the team doesn't feel safe to bring that stuff up, it's not going to get brought up, and then you're not going to make make the changes that you need to. Yeah, and I think that's probably something that, like Derek, you had mentioned about these people uh, having quote unquote teams, where it's this kind of collection of individuals mm-hmm. that kind of sort of are loosely co- grouped together. I mean, you're not. I don't think anyone in that situation is going to feel very vulnerable to express some problem that they had or whatever. Right, they might not even know each other. I, I talked to a team last week where uh, where there were some members of the team that didn't even know other members of the team of their own team's names. Right, the, the quote unquote right. team. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I see that quite a bit actually. Sadly, um, I, I think it's it's really difficult. You know, as a as a coach, one of the things I really try to do is mimic the things that I'm saying that other people should do. Right, and so I'm real big on that managers should be highly transparent and highly open and so one of the things that i do is i tend to keep coaching journals and in my coaching journals i'm really wide open you know uh, in in the sense of criticize things probably over overly a lot of times and you know i really struggle do i give access to those journals to the management teams that i'm working with and my biggest reason not to often is i don't believe they express the maturity to be able to handle what's in those in healthy ways. Meaning I think it would be vitally important for them to see what's happening within their teams and in these ceremonies if they were taking that information and saying, hey, can I do some things, you know, infrastructure wise or organizationally to help deal with that. But what they tend to do is look at the personal things and say, oh, either I'm going to go fix the personal thing Mm -hmm. or, ooh, that really pissed me off. How dare somebody say that about my organization and be punitive about it, which is just non-helpful. And so I think that retrospectives to me are kind of the same way. Like, do you give that data to people outside of the team? Right. And, and I think part of the answer is like, absolutely. Somebody should be able to outside of the team, see that data. But the problem is we're human beings and we act stupid all the time. And if you do that, you lose a lot of the safety involved. Right. And I think it's really hard. I think some managers demand that, like, I want to see what's coming out of the retrospective because I want to make sure you know, in the guise of, I want to be able to help the team. Well, in reality, I want to see what the team's talking about. The so, dirt I, is, right? so I can go flip my lid, you know, I think ultimately though, it should be up to the team themselves. Cause I could see that a team that is first storming is going to be extremely protective of their opinions and, and like want to, want to keep that to themselves. And as they mature, they will start to grow trust amongst each other so that when they say something, even if the rest of the team disagrees with it, they know that the rest of the team will have their back. And that's when they start being more okay with, with having that type of stuff be open. Because if a manager goes out and goes like, what the heck were you doing saying that about me? Like the rest of the team's going to back them up and be like, hey, this is a retrospective. They have the right to say that opinion, like back off of our team member. 
Yeah, I definitely think it should be up to the team. And I mean, uh, you know, in a current engagement I'm on, I'm lucky enough to be doing some pair coaching. So it's kind of nice. I'm able to open that up to kind of my pair coach um, that I'm that I'm pairing with and be able to get some of that organizational feedback, which is nice and have the safety that that person is, you know, in the same boat, meaning they're putting their notes up as well. So we're able to help each other out, which is really nice. Great. Well, I think we're about out of time. So thanks, guys. If there's something you'd like to hear in a future episode, head over to integrumtech.com slash podcast, where you can suggest a topic or a guest. Looking for an easy way to stay up to date with the latest news, techniques, and events in the Agile community? Sign up today at agileweekly.com. It's the best Agile content delivered weekly for free. The Agile Weekly podcast is brought to you by Integrum Technologies and recorded at Gangplank Studios in Chandler, Arizona. For old episodes, check out integrumtech.com or subscribe on iTunes. Need help with your Agile transition? Have a question and need to phone a friend? Try calling the Agile Hotline. It's free. Call 866-244-8656.